Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this season, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on every single goddamn page in a trio of adventure modules for TSR's Marvel Super Heroes RPG, starting with Adventure MT1, All This and World War II. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. All This and World War II was written by Ray Winninger and published in 1989 by TSR. Today we're discussing page 27 of All This and World War II. Today contains the end of chapter 7, the entirety of chapter 8, the beginning of chapter 9, but most importantly, it illuminates the two pillars of the approach that the author takes to story construction in this module. The first pillar shows up in chapter 8, colon, Fury is Furious. The story structure here has gotten a little bit harder to follow, I think, so let's return to the flowchart and talk about how you get to scene 8. Of course, your hero group gets the absolutely impenetrable cardboard box delivered to their headquarters. They open the box, they get the contact from Fury, they go to New Mexico. They fight Cavalier, the Nazis attack. Then, if the heroes go to the pointless interrogation scene, or if they do some research on the mysterious blue crossbones pin, which we now know to be the symbol of the Blautote, you may find yourself in either of those cases a little bit stalled. Obviously, the interrogation basically tells you nothing. Unless you, unlike head of security Mike Casey, think to go compare the serial numbers you're given by the captives to World War II-era German records, you won't know what the fuck is going on on the basis of that interrogation. If you try to investigate the commando's little secret blue pins and you fail, or if you go try to investigate it and you find out about the Blautote and you're like, so what? They're time-traveling commandos. That's fine. That's interesting. But what, what now? Since we already tried interrogating them and we have nothing else to go on. In either of those events, if you don't think to go find out who is missing a microscanner on the base, you'll basically just wander around fruitlessly until you go talk to Nick Fury, who, as the chapter title indicates, is furious. Here's what happens if you decide to just give up the investigation and go ask Nick Fury what the fuck you're supposed to do. The judge reads the following, quote, The sounds of whirring computers and buzzing phones fill Fury's office. Apparently, his people are just beginning to catch wind of the break-in. Fury is an impressive sight in a crisis. He is calm, collected, and obviously in total control of the situation. Ah, yes, Nick Fury, always in full control of the situation, except that time a robot was trying to crush us when the Nazis attacked, and he was holding the literal controls for the robot, and he set them on the floor without even bothering to turn the robot off so he could come quote-unquote help us. But other than that, Fury is always in total control of the situation. Beyond the box text, this chapter is, to its credit, fully transparent about what its point is. Quote, This encounter basically exists to make sure that the heroes have not missed any important clues. While the heroes have been conducting their investigations, Fury has had his own security people looking into the matter as well. Security has uncovered all of the clues found in chapters 4 and 6, which is to say, the names, the serial numbers, and the fact that the microscanner with the base insignia was probably used to penetrate the security system. If asked, Fury will share all of this information with the heroes. He will also answer any other reasonable questions. If Fury is asked what Kruptman is working on, he will reveal that the doctor is heading up research on time travel. So in case you missed looking at those papers earlier, Nick Fury just gives it to you. Excuse me, Colonel Fury, I have a question about an unrelated top secret experiment. Sure, I'd be happy to answer. I mean, we're in kind of a crisis right now, but there's always time to divulge unrelated state secrets to masked weirdos. So he'll tell you that Kruptman was working on the time travel project, he also tells you, though, that Kruptman was a long way from developing an actual time machine. If you ask him about the Blautote Commandos, he'll say, yeah, he's heard of them, but he knows very little about them. Quote, 
Fury will also ask the heroes for a report on their own progress. If the team has already uncovered Corruptman's involvement, Fury will ask them to keep the matter quiet for the time being, and will recommend that the heroes go check out Corruptman's home. If they have yet to find the address, Fury will give it to them. Everybody in this base is just fucking dying to give Dr. Corruptman's home address to these superheroes. This chapter is some real railroading, but at least it is competent railroading. Notice the structural nuances. This scene gives you any clues that you missed in chapters 4 and 6, but not 5. Why not 5? Because you might have come to this chapter from chapter 4, in which case you went chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 8. This scene gives you the information from chapter 6, so you don't have to do chapter 6. And then, depending on whether you already know Corruptman is involved or not, it either kicks you forward to chapter 9 or kicks you back to chapter 5. Why doesn't this scene just give you the information in chapter 5? Because if Colonel Fury told you what the Blautote symbol stands for, you wouldn't have to go to the Albuquerque Public Library and pick up a copy of World War II Inside and Out, All the People, All the Places, and All the Events by Hamilton Crane. It is essential that the player characters, no matter what, must go to the Albuquerque Public Library and pick up a copy of World War II Inside and Out, All the People, All the Places, and All the Events by Hamilton Crane, because if they don't check out this massive tome, connect it to the trailer hitch of their van, and drag it back to base, complete as it is with every piece of information about World War II, then they wouldn't have it later in the adventure, and how would we utterly control everything the players do forever? So, I promised you pillars. Pillar number one of the designer's approach to story construction in this story. The player characters must learn every scrap of information in the module. If they don't find it on their own initiative, Nick Fury will just fucking throw it at them a scene or two later. For pillar number two, we have to return to the end of chapter seven up at the top of the page. As you recall, last scene was about confronting Corruptman in his lab, slapping his laser rifle out of his feeble septuagenarian hands, and then somehow figuring out that the next thing the designer wants you to do is rifle through his wallet, find his home address, and go search his house. What you may have noticed, if you were perceptive, is that we didn't really discuss what happens to Corruptman after this. I mean, he's a conspirator with these Nazis. He's your main lead at this point, since by authorial mandate, you can't get anything out of the commandos. So wouldn't you want to pump this guy for more information? Quote, if the heroes attempt to revive and interrogate Corruptman, or if they later ask to interrogate him while he is in the brig, he will absolutely refuse to answer any questions. As above, psychic powers might reveal some information, but Corruptman was given the same treatment as the commandos, and all attempts to hypnotize him or read his mind suffer a minus two column shift penalty. Big fucking deal. If I've got mind reading at the rank of amazing, maybe even monstrous, right? It's possible in character creation. Those two column shifts, they're meaningful, but they don't stop me from reading this guy's mind. And you don't know this yet, dear listener, unless you are reading the module yourself, because I've avoided spoilers. But I'll tell you now, if the player characters do read Kruppman's mind, or if they get him to talk, given that he is, after all, a 70-something man with no particular fighting ability or powers, or indeed prospects at this point. He's been caught as a mole. No one's coming to help him. Despite that, he's absolutely refusing to say anything or reveal any information, no matter the threat. And for some reason, he's received psychic training to resist your psychic powers because the designer doesn't want you to read this guy's mind. Because if you did, you'd basically know everything going forward. Kruppman knows stuff that the player characters aren't supposed to learn until Blood Curse. That's chapter 21 in this 23-chapter adventure. So putting aside his character motivation, his circumstances, any verisimilitude or, or plausibility, Kruppman simply can't reveal any of the information he has. He simply can't. That is the dumbest thing on this page because it exemplifies pillar number two 
of this author's approach to story construction. Not only must the players learn every scrap of information in every scene they pass by, but they must never learn any other information. All other attempts to gain knowledge will fail. Inexplicably, people who have no reason to resist you will adamantly refuse to tell you anything. There is no relevant information to be gained except for the information described in the module, all of which you will learn no matter how much you try to avoid it. And if you ever mistakenly think that you're missing information you need to complete the adventure, that's only because you've failed to consult the book to end all books, the reference tome that must one day come for us all, World War II, Inside and Out, All the People, All the Places, and All the Events by Hamilton Crane. Oh, you can duck it for a while. For example, if after the commandos attacked when you were fighting the Cavalier, you went to the interrogation, didn't get much from the interrogation, but you started to suspect that the commandos were time travelers, then you went to talk to Fury in his office because you didn't know what to do next. In the office, Fury told you about that microscanner thing, and then you had instantly a moment of deductive brilliance and were like, wait a minute, if the commandos had the gadget before they came into the base... They must have a mole working in the base. It has to be someone who worked in a lab. We only met two people who worked in labs, and one of them was clearly a non-character that the GM didn't care about. The other one was an elderly German man named Kruptman. Kruptman's got to be the bad guy. Let's go talk to Kruptman. Then you went to Kruptman. You would have bypassed Chapter 5, which is the chapter where you're supposed to get World War II inside and out, all the people, all the places, and all the events by Hamilton Crane. Good for you. So far, you've stayed one step ahead. But the book is coming. Join me tomorrow. When the sins of the past are laid bare and Hamilton Crane comes to judge us all on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top secret patrons only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact the show however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Podbean, Gmail, Instagram, etc., etc. This episode's theme music is Robinson's Grand Entry March, performed by the United States Air Force Concert Band. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.